Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I think like many of you who are tuning into this episode, you're just like me. I've spent many nights in the last six months wondering and worrying. I thought about the ins and outs of this case and there's just no good conclusion that can come from this. A part of me honestly does not want to do this episode because I'm holding on to so much hope, but it feels like in, in my morose mind that it would truly take a miracle for good news. And honestly, there's only one person that really can end this pain for so many people just by saying something. And yet, he continues to remain silent behind bars. These are the crimes that made your skin crawl. The missing faces you just couldn't get out of your head. The questions that never got answered. Missing and murdered in the Midwest dives deep into these unforgettable cases, solved and unsolved. A warning to all those who tune in, these episodes cover mature and sometimes graphic content. I'm your host, Toria Wilson. For those of you who don't live here in the Quad Cities, because apparently people do listen outside of our little metro, this is still a very active case. So the problem here is that information is so limited. And what we know and what we've been told has gaps. And that's just the way this goes, because police have to keep tight-lipped on certain key aspects in this case. Back in July, it was a different story. On the 9th of that month, explained by investigators and the family of 10-year-old Briasia Terrell, she was staying the night at the home of Henry Dinkins. Dinkins is not family by blood to Briasia, but Dinkins is the father of Briasia's half-brother. They were spending time with one another when they say Friday morning, July 10th, she was gone. Now at the apartment complex that Dinkins was residing at, at the time of this overnight stay, is by the Portillo's in town. It's in the busier section of Davenport, where there are a lot of strip malls, Walmart, Target. You get the idea. A lot of cars, homes, and businesses are also set up around this area, so it's really not hard to see something out of the ordinary. Briasia was described as wearing a white t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. She's four and a half feet tall, with brown eyes and black hair. Honestly, she's just a beautiful child. But the first big search conducted the night of the 10th was at Credit Island. It's a small little recreational area that resides on the Mississippi River. A tip from a family member not only sent police down to the area, but scores of family and friends, even strangers, coming out to help search for this young girl. Her mother, Aisha Lankford, said at the time her daughter knew her phone number, is a responsible girl, and would not run off. And the necessary desperation to try and find her daughter was palpable the first day Newsday interviewed her. I had to go home yesterday without a baby, and I'd be damned if I go home again without one. She's like my shadow. She's not going to leave my side. There's no way I am out here. And I have not gotten not one report on my baby. Nothing. We've been out here for hours. And her picture is everywhere. Everywhere. 
you know, and nobody has called and came forward on nothing. 48 hours after the initial missing persons report, the improvised searches moved to South Concord Street. It's still near the Mississippi River, digging through muddy riverbanks, the junk and the roads, all trying to find just a sign of this young girl. At the time, the search party had said they turned over some evidence to Davenport police detectives, but what that evidence was is still unknown. By July 13th, a $3,500 reward was being offered for information that led to an arrest or just a tip to find the girl. But as the days dragged on, not a sound as to where she could be. The next day, though, Davenport police came out saying they were naming a person of interest, Henry Dinkins. He had been arrested the day after Briage's disappearance, but not for anything related to it. He faced charges for failing to register his address as a convicted sex offender. That was dating back to a case in 1990. 17 years old, Dinkins was convicted of sexual abuse involving a victim under the age of 13. His home had been searched, the cars he drove were photographed, and he was handcuffed and placed in the Scott County Jail. The day of this announcement, Aisha said that she had spoken face-to-face with Henry but he told her he doesn't know where the young girl is. Supposedly he woke up and Brie was nowhere to be found. And this part of their relationship, whatever you want to call it, becomes just so rocky. I'll explain as I move on. And a quick note I thought about on one particular day, going over the facts of this case in my head and out loud once more, is that if Henry is behind this, and he was arrested within that quick time frame, who would he have talked to? If there was no one else in the home, if there was no one close to him at this time, who could he have told the details of this case to? So when police come out and say that Henry Dinkins is their person of interest, they ask the public, if you spotted him between Thursday night, the night that Briasia, spent the night at his house to Friday morning, if you knew his whereabouts, to speak up. But around the five-day mark after Briasia was reported missing, the family came out and expressed frustration with the police and demanded they do more. We're asking, what should we be doing? What should we be going? And we keep running into brick walls face first. A 10-year-old little girl that we gonna fight for until we can't fight no more and she's home, period. And as the two-week mark approached, the search parties were brought back to Credit Island once more. A tip from some items found in the area had strangers and the family looking even more closely, going over that area with practically a fine-tooth comb, trying to spot anything that could have been marked where Briasia had been. The weeds are just deep. There's holes. There's, it's swampy. There's bugs. There's logs and wood and everything laying everywhere. It's very difficult to get through looking where we need to look. Just keep looking till we find her. We'll find her. It was around this time that an Amber Alert was activated for the missing girl. But why so late in the game, you know? It came blaring out through phones overnight on that Wednesday. And DPD said the alert was issued after new information came out. Essentially, it was that Dinkins has ties to the Clinton and Comanche areas. An investigator said at the time, they had reason to believe Briasia could be up there somewhere. 
Now, if you look at a map though, and compare the areas where Dinkins lived to that area, it's about a 45 minute drive. So the question has to be posed, doesn't it? How could Dinkins get up there so quickly between the overnight hours before Briasia was reported missing? Or when could he have moved her? And if they went from Credit Island to Comanche, that turns that trip into nearly an hour. How could no one notice he was gone for that long? Longer, if you include the drive back to his home. And what if it's just the drive from his apartment to Credit Island? That's 20 minutes down there as well, if there's no traffic. And what if he lingers? That's more time taken away from being home. But volunteers once again answered the call to try and find the young girl in the hot summer sun during the middle of this pandemic where hope had already dissipated for a lot of us. When it came to the virus, people were searching. She is our community's child and she needs to come home. And we aren't gonna stop until she's found. At the start, it was a lot cooler, but it's gotten hotter. Because we've been going up and down the ditches, it's a lot further than just a straight stretch. We've ran across a lot of like twigs, a lot of uh, dry grass, and that's kind of been an obstacle for us. That whole first weekend, a week after Briasia had been reported missing, that's what our community did. They searched high and low. They set up a center for water and food for volunteers and for the police looking for her. A guy brought in a canine search dog. The Quad City Missing Persons Network and the FBI came out. I mean, you name it, people were out there looking. But on July 20th, that Monday after this big search effort, DPD announced that there were no longer a need to search in the Clinton County area. And they expressed that if people want to search on their own, they can. Police Chief Paul Sikorsky called the investigation at the time very aggressive and that officers were following up on tips that were mainly focused on the immediate Quad City area for now. And two days later, they held another press conference this time alongside the FBI. They stated at the time they got permission from Washington, D.C. to bring its special child abduction rapid deployment unit into the Quad Cities. Now, this group specializes in finding missing kids. Agents were also doing interviews, searches, collecting evidence, deploying surveillance teams, and looking at cell phone data to try to piece together what all happened July 10th. Our number one goal is to find the person that is responsible for the disappearance of Briasia and bring that person to justice. We are also obviously working very hard to make sure that the family is supported and that we can do everything that we can to bring this case to a successful conclusion. They also began to offer a $10,000 reward. Now that's on top of the $3,500 reward already being offered. But what was weird during this press conference or I shouldn't say weird, but what was confusing at the time was what Chief Paul Sikorsky had to say about the investigation and the family cooperation. Uh, well, we're, we're definitely focusing on family and definitely interviewing family members. I think the, cooper the cooperation level, that's something that may come out later on. But for Briasia's family, all they had been doing is cooperating, at least at face. What did you make of that moment? At that exact moment, we took it as 
who the hell are you talking to? Because we have been cooperative, we have been listening. I took it as he must have been talking to them because those are the only ones that are not being cooperative. And I mean, Damn, I would pause too. Henry, um, Henry's uh, mother, his girlfriend, his sister, you know, those are ones that are constantly going downtown trying to get, you know, like his belongings instead of, you know, trying to help me get into their brother head. They felt by nearly the one month mark that they knew just as much as anyone else had. And they wish that DPD would just give them something. You'd like to hear from them more? Yes, I would. I would like to hear on what's going on. I know it's like you can't tell me much because without damaging your case, but tell me something to give me peace. And not only that, it seemed like at the beginning of August, they were the only ones really pushing for everyone to remember the sweet girl's face. Some family members began making t-shirts and face masks with Briasia's face on them. Shay Tate Moore is Briasia's cousin, a fashion designer who owns her own small business in town. And she decided to use her own skills to get the word out. How far do you want this to go? All over the world. As far as possible. We <laughs> want her face everywhere. Everywhere, until she is found. Other family members held a fashion show, creating a dress in the girl's honor, featuring sparkles and sequins and even pictures of Briasia themselves. Mom Aisha, her son, and Briasia's cousin Amber hitting the streets in what they called the Bremobile, posting flyers around the Quad Cities, even just passing them to strangers directly. You mind if I give you a flyer by chance? I'm looking for my daughter. Oh, yeah, sure. We know that we may be the ones that may be able to break the case just by getting our pictures out there and putting them on any, anybody's hand that's willing to take a flyer. And while we ran these stories about the family's efforts, we really only had one line to run that it had been so many weeks since DPD last updated the case, and that they described it at that time very aggressively. And when the one-month mark came and went, for Aisha Langford, her tolerance and patience for the man suspected in this case, someone she knows closely, had grown very thin. And so that day that Dinkins was supposed to be in court, August 13th, she was ready. But at the last second, it felt like at least the lawyers for Dinkins filed the paperwork for him so that he didn't have to show up in person. Which, mind you, is not atypical. This stuff happens all the time in the courts. But Aisha just wants some answers. And she said at that point she had written four letters to him. Four. Only to hear nothing back. He refuses to see me. He actually updated his uh, visiting list to where you, if you're not on his uh, visiting list, then you can't come see him. I want to be able to yeah. face him, honestly. I mean, truthfully, I mean, me coming to this court date isn't enough for me. You know, a visit isn't enough for me. I mean, and I feel so, so sorry for Briage's mom because her hardest days are ahead of her yet. And as we neared the two-month mark since Briage went missing, there was a development in a 25-year-old cold case here in the Quad Cities. The update to Trudy Appleby's case will have to be another episode for another time. And if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen. But Dennis Appleby, that father, man, he has just been through so much. And he has been wearing the shoes that Aisha has just stepped into for decades now. And things like this, you don't know what the next hour brings. And when the latest development was happening in Trudy's case in Moline, again, silence as to what the latest was in Briasia's case just across the river in Davenport. 
And for Appleby, he didn't want to take away hope for finding Briasia alive, something that he had lost a long time ago. So you can't ask her to believe anything else. You have to. Until you date and you have enough evidence about things that know that that's just probably not the case. And in her, in, in, in her instance, I hope that's not the case. And for some black leaders in the community, they were grateful that the news was continuing to keep an eye on what was happening with the Briasia case, continuing to bring it to light, that she wasn't just a mention here or there, that we were putting her face out there as much as possible. Because while minority children are taken more often, it's white children who get the publicity. Tell me that I'm wrong. But as the weeks have gone on, it's the sad fact of the news business that bigger stories come to the forefront. And while it's an important story, it falls off what's happening in the moment. In mid-August, COVID-19 cases rose. More civil unrest around the country. And of course, the derecho that hit our area hard. The big windstorm blowing away the small posters the family had posted. Some are still up. Big billboards donated by businesses or hanging in the windows of locally owned businesses. Police would release another statement saying they were following up with hundreds of tips they received and that this case was a priority. But like I said in the beginning, they can't say much more than that because the worst thing that could happen now is the case be thrown out by sloppy work or a slip of the tongue of words that shouldn't have been said. But if you've ever suffered a terrible loss or grieved, then you know what it feels like when the world seems to go on and you feel trapped in cement. Time stands still in the weirdest way. I can't speak to kidnapping, but I can speak to grief because I felt like that's how it could be. Waiting in the void for answers or a way to step forward. And you don't know how or he can't. And when we hit the three-month mark, two things happened. One, Dinkins was moved out of the Scott County Jail to Clinton County. Again, that's nearly an hour away. The justification behind the move? Unknown still at this time. During that court date to move him, though, the second thing, Aisha Langford and the mother of Henry Dinkins got into a fight outside the courthouse. Now, still no word as to what led up to that, but Aisha was charged with disorderly conduct and already pleaded guilty to the simple misdemeanor and faced a fine. It was also around that time that Helen Mosley spoke out for the first time about what's been going on with her son. Now, our station tried to reach out, but received no response. But she did speak with the Quad City Times, the local newspaper. Now, remember, all he is charged with in Scott County at this point is for failing to register his address as a sex offender. Prosecutors have added two other charges related to that, but there's still no criminal charges he faces for Briasia's disappearance. Okay, he's just a person of interest. But both Helen and Henry's sister, Nita, believe he has nothing to do with her disappearance. They told the Times that they've been cooperating with police from the minute Henry was taken into custody. They say... Just the inquiry that he has been the suspect in this case has turned their lives upside down, saying, quote, I just feel like we're being held responsible for something we had nothing to do with, end quote. Helen says that people have stopped talking to them and have made horrible allegations against them, and they believe he did something horrible. But she believes 
that God will be revealed through all of this. Statistics aren't kind to situations like these, and that's just facts. Every minute counts when it comes to a child missing. 94% of recovered children are found within 72 hours. 47% are found within three hours. It helps that social media can help get the word out quickly. Cell phones have the Amber Alerts blare out. Highway signs light up with information. I mean, information is key in most of these situations. I mean, you've got to look back and marvel at the last 30 years of how much has changed when it's come to making it a priority to bring an endangered child home. No matter what the circumstances are, federal law requires that a child to be entered in to the FBI's National Crime Information Center, also known as NCIC. In 2019 alone, there were 421,394 reports of missing children. But to note, if a child runs away multiple times a year, each time is entered in separately. In 2019, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children assisted law enforcement and families with more than 29,000 cases of missing children. 91% were endangered runaways. 4% were family abductions. 4% were critically missing young adults, ages 18 to 20 years old. Less than 1% non-family children abductions. 1% lost, injured, or otherwise missing children. Family abduction cases have the longest average time missing with an average time of 326 days versus cases of runaways, which average the shortest time missing of 61 days. And of the nearly 26,300 runaways reported to the NCMEC last year, one in six were likely victims of child sex trafficking. I'm sorry to throw a lot of those numbers at you, but I think it's all worthy to note. I think it's shown how far we've come to try and stop this issue. Compare it to when Trudy or when Adam Walsh went missing in the 1990s, it's dramatically different getting information out and helping these cases. At the toss of a coin though, we can see that it's still a problem. The Iowa Department of Public Safety reported roughly 50 children in Davenport between the ages of 11 and 17 missing at the time of this writing. Not recording, writing. Now this is only in Davenport. Some of these can be runaways. Others could already be home and it's not reported to the police of their return. If you go to their website, the most common classification is juvenile and that's considered a child as a runaway. But there's at least three that stood out to me. One from 2016, one from 2014, and even one from 2011. The names are not familiar and they're listed as juvenile runaways. But even on the website, Briasia is listed that way as well. Again, right now, this entire case is still very active and it's very quiet on PD's end. The last update they gave was around Briasia's birthday and the five month mark of her disappearance. In a simple statement, no press conference or anything like that, four members of DPD are working on this case on top of two FBI agents based in Omaha. 170 tips looked into, 
hundreds of interviews, 60 search warrants executed. As of January 2021, the Amber Alert for Briasia has now been canceled. It's not a cold case. It's just now being referred to as a missing persons case, since it's not as active as it once was. And the state could reactivate it if new information does come out. And while statistics can give us an idea, the number of search warrants and interviews, it doesn't give us the true idea of what's all going on behind the scenes and how this could all come to an end. My hope is someone says something that can solve this. My hope is that she is found safe and alive. I hope that the family does not have to suffer more than they have to. And my ultimate hope is that I can erase this paragraph. I don't have to record it and say, instead of my hope that it's reality, but those are just my hopes. And 2020 has shown us what having hope can really do to a person. Episodes for Missing and Murdered in the Midwest are researched, written, and recorded by Toria Wilson. Production is by Elise Edens and Hannah Rodriguez. Thank you so, so much for listening in and tune in to the next episode coming soon.